0: pictures and scripture together, I would invite you to turn to a specific passage of scripture, but I'm not going to be in one long enough, so uh, you can join me in Genesis chapter 1 if you like and follow that outline just a little bit. We're thinking about the glory of God in creation. This universe was called into existence by God to serve as the platform Upon which God would display His glory. Every aspect of creation, from the tiniest subatomic particle to the sum total that makes up all of the universe, displays the glory of Almighty God. And so it is that that great host of worshipers, which are revealed in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, declares, You are worthy, O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. Everything begins and everything ends with the eternal self-existent almighty God. In John chapter 1 verses 1 through 2 we read this. In the beginning was the word. That, of course, refers to Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Psalm 90, verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born, or before you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is the one who acts In bringing the universe into existence, it does not happen by chance. Psalm 33 verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Psalm 102, Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. And in Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, For by him and in the context it refers to Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So, if anything at all exists, it does so because Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Notice that in the beginning, God is already there. He is self-existent. He is without beginning or end. He is the first cause, the source of all that is. He is being itself. So this is a summary statement. Everything which exists, was created by God. The remainder of chapters 1 and 2 in Genesis fill in the details of God's glorious creative work. So on that first day of creation, what was the first thing God created? Are you ready for a surprise? Day one. The angelic host. In Job chapter 38 verses 4 through 7 we read this. God is speaking to Job and and inquiring of Job, uh, what Job knows about things. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God (coughs) shouted for joy? In Genesis 1 verse 2 we have the creation of that water covered terrestrial ball suspended in a vast spatial emptiness. And again Job gives us a little insight. He says he hangs the earth on nothing. And in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 22 it says that God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. While the Bible is not a textbook on science, everything that it says is absolutely correct. Have you seen the picture of uh, earth from space? It's a circle, isn't it? Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 it says that the earth was unformed and unfilled and darkness covered the face of the deep. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, God begins now to form and to fill the earth in preparation for the creation of human beings. And he begins that process by creating light. Genesis chapter 1, verse 4. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness He called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Ready for day two? Chapter 1, verse 6 of Genesis says, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and so the evening and the morning were the second day. That brings us now to day three. Continuing in Genesis 1, God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And God, and, and the earth brought forth grass. The herb that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And so the evening and the morning were the third day. And now day four. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven, to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And now day five. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures. Every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And so the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And now day six. God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. Cattle, and creeping thing, and beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, beloved, we do not have time to consider every aspect of God's creation. That subject alone is worthy of a lifetime of study, meditation. But let's consider for a few moments some of the words in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. In what way? How is it that by looking into the sky we can see the glory of Almighty God? What has He put there that reveals Himself to mankind? Well, let's consider the sun the moon, and the stars. Our sun is 93 million miles away. It has has a surface temperature of 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's 864 million miles in diameter. Excuse me, 164,000 miles in diameter. And Earth by comparison, is only 8,000 miles in diameter. The sun is like 100 times bigger. The mass of the sun contains 99.86% of all of the mass in our solar system. It moves through the galaxy at 137 miles per second it converts 700 million tons of hydrogen to 695 million tons of helium and 5 million tons of gamma energy radiation every second. It has a gravitational pull which holds our solar system together. It makes one rotation upon its axis every 25.3 days. It has enough energy in its core to burn for about 5 billion years. It has a gravity 28 times more powerful than that of Earth. In other words, take your weight on Earth, multiply that by 28, that's how much you would weigh on the sun if you could stand on its surface. Our sun is one of 200 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. And it's not very big compared to other stars. You see us way down there on the left-hand side? That little, you can't even see it probably. There's a tiny, tiny little dot that's Jupiter. And that's bigger than Earth. Can you imagine what Earth would look like in comparison on this picture? Our moon. Let's think about our moon. It's about 240,000 miles away from us. It controls the tides on the earth through its gravitational pull. It has a temperature range from the lighted side to the dark side of 250 degrees plus Fahrenheit to minus 387 degrees Fahrenheit. It's about one quarter of the size of the earth. It's exactly the same apparent size as the sun because it's Perfectly placed in relationship to the earth. That's why the sun and the moon look the same size in the sky because of the proportion of distance. It makes one orbit around the earth every 29 days and it makes one revolution on its axis every 29 days which is why we only ever see one side or one face of the moon. It's turning but we only ever see one side of it. It makes one orbit around the... I mentioned that. It it orbits the Earth at 2,300 miles per hour. It's the fifth largest natural satellite in our solar system. It shields the Earth from meteors, and it's not a perfect sphere, but it has a slight egg shape, and the smaller point of the egg is always pointing toward the Earth. It has no magnetic field, and it has no atmosphere, and it reflects only 7% of the sun's light. God made that, and he designed all that. But let's consider our solar system. From the sun to Pluto is about 3.67 billion miles. The diameter of our solar system is 7.34 billion miles or one and a quarter light years. Now, I feel sorry for Pluto. It was kind of a small planet. And it was way out there in the farthest edge. And in 2006, the International Astronomical Union downgraded it to a dwarf planet. I don't know if it feels bad or not. But the current understanding of our solar system is that we have eight planets and five dwarf planets. You can see them down there, Ceres and Pluto and the others that are listed. It's frequently visited by meteors and comets from outside of our solar system with on an asteroid band between Mars and Jupiter. It's located on one of the arms of our spiral galaxy, the Milky Way, that's why. When you look up at night and you see this kind of faint band of milk, of of white light, it's just very faint. You need a good clear night to see it. That's the edge of our galaxy. That's what we're a part of. And that little faint whiteness that you see is billions and billions of stars that are all part of our galaxy. It moves through the Milky Way. This is fascinating. Hopefully it will play for us. Maybe not. Well, this slide was supposed to play. And you see those little loops there? The sun is moving through the, through the galaxy. And all of the planets, our solar system, are moving right along with it. And they're all circling around the sun at different speeds. And they're all creating different kind of loops From our perspective, sometimes if you're looking at planets, it looks like maybe they've backed up. It was over here last night, now it's over here. And that's all because of the way it moves And from our apparent vantage point, which is also moving. Absolutely astounding what God has done. Well, let's think about our galaxy. Consider our galaxy for a moment. One of more than 100 billion Galaxies in the observable universe. I said a few moments ago that there were several billion stars in our own galaxy. Multiply that by the over 100 billion galaxies in the known universe. You've got a lot of stars. You've got a lot of energy being expended. Job chapter 9 says this. He, that's God, made the bear Orion in the Pleiades, in the chambers of the south. This is my favorite time of year. Oh, can we back up just one? This is my favorite time of year where you get a chance to see Orion. There he is. And it moves through the little, if you want to find the Pleiades, they're kind of a, a group of stars that are clustered together. It can be a little faint to see. But you just kind of go from Orion's belt up through the eye. Aldebaran is the star's name of Taurus the bull. And eventually you get to the Pleiades and you can see those in the night sky now. And of course there is on the left hand side is the bear. Now we're most familiar with the Big Dipper part, right? But there's more to that Ursa Major constellation. But there's the Big Dipper. And if you see the two stars on the... Left, or the right hand side of the dipper and you sight those up you'll come to Polaris which is the tail of Ursa Minor the little dipper that's also our pole star God put all this stuff together you're inside of a gigantic clock I don't know if you realize that or not but 1 Corinthians 15 says that one star differs from another star in glory now here's two photos from uh, this Hubble uh, Space Telescope. The first is a shot of the Andromeda Galaxy. There it is. It's designated M31 by astronomers. It's a spiral galaxy similar in shape to the Milky Way, one in which our own solar system is located. Now Andromeda is one of our nearest neighbors. It's right across the backyard fence, if you will. And it's only 2.5 million light years away. The speed at which light travels is about 186,000 miles per second. So, if you left in a spaceship traveling at the speed of light, you would arrive at the Andromeda galaxy just in time for lunch 2.5 million years from now. You begin to comprehend the size of the universe which God has created. This is a photo of another spiral galaxy, M81, known as Bode's Galaxy. It's in the northern part of our sky. Actually, it's kind of near the Big Dipper. Notice that although the photo focuses on a particular galaxy, there's lots of other little dots of light <laughs> visible in the background. Those are not individual stars, those are other entire galaxies, some that are larger, some that are smaller than the M81 galaxy in the center of the photo. What glory, what majesty, what power, what intelligence is displayed every single night in the heavens. And you and I can only see the tiniest fraction of it. So let's think about our own planet for a moment. Psalm 135 says this, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places. He causes the vapors to ascend from the earth to the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. Psalm 89 says, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Amos chapter 5 says, he calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. Listen to that. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Job 37. Hear attentively the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He sends it forth unto the whole heaven, his lightning to the ends of the earth. After it a voice roars, he thunders with his majestic voice. He does not restrain them when his voice is heard. God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. For he says to the snow, Fall on the earth. Likewise, to the gentle rain and to the heavy rain of his strength, he seals the hand of every man that all men may know his work. The beasts go into dens and remain in their lairs. From the chamber of the south comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds of the north. By the breath of God, ice is given, and the broad waters are frozen. Also with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters bright clouds. They swirl about, being turned by His guidance, that they may do whatever He commands them on the face of the whole earth. Beloved, our atmosphere is perfectly suited for life. The properties of our atmosphere are designed by God to provide the right mixture of oxygen, which is about 21%, and other gases so that life can exist. The atmosphere is thick enough and dense enough to provide protection from harmful radiation, small meteors, and other things. God has designed several cycles. We just read about some of them there in Job. Cycles which involve our atmosphere. First is the oxygen carbon dioxide cycle. Plants take in carbon dioxide, they give off oxygen. People take in oxygen, they give off carbon dioxide all of that is a part of our atmosphere. Take away one part of it and the whole thing collapses. It had to be designed and come into existence like that. The nitrogen cycle. Plants need nitrogen, people need nitrogen, animals need nitrogen, and here's how it all works. You know Our farmers out in the, in the springtime, they spread nitrogen on the field because that's a nutrient that plants need to be able to grow. There's a, there's a natural process by which that works. And amazingly enough, lightning plays a part in that because when the lightning occurs, it, it discharges nitrogen into the atmosphere which falls to the earth and helps to replenish that nitrogen cycle. And then there's the water cycle. The water cycle. God lifts the water from the ocean and deposits it on the land. Tons and tons and tons of water come gently down in the rain and nourish everything on the face of the earth. The movement of the earth through space. The axis of the earth is tilted at 23 and a half degrees if it were not if it were at zero with no tilt we would have a tropical paradise that is if the earth were enshrouded with a cloudy vapor it would be like a terrarium and the light would hit the earth evenly but God I believe in the flood of Noah's day actually tilted the axis of the earth so that now the light doesn't hit it perfectly and evenly if you notice there it says December 22nd the winter solstice it takes the light a little bit longer to get from the equator all the way up to the more northern regions right and the southern hemisphere is pointed a little bit closer to the sun you say well that's only maybe a couple hundred miles what difference does that make it makes all the difference in the world because that's what creates our seasons and as the earth goes around and the tilt of that axis remains the same then in June now the northern hemisphere gets a little extra sunlight a little closer to the Sun the solstice happens that's the where the the uh, longest day occurs but the southern hemisphere is getting a little bit less sunlight. It has to travel a little bit further. And while we're having summer, they're having winter. And while we're having winter, they're having summer. That's why everybody wants to go to Florida. We want to get a little closer to that equator in the wintertime so you can enjoy what? Warmer temperatures. God designed it that way. God made it up. How about our planet? Our planet is 75% water, covered with water. It's a filtering process. The water comes running off the continents out into the ocean. It's mixed with salts there that uh, purify it, and the evaporation takes place, and the salts are left behind, and the water comes back and drops down over the land again. And of course, then there's all that uh, subterranean water that's taking place absolutely amazing. A filtering process, a weather system, God maintains the temperatures on this planet so that life can exist. Psalm 19 verse 3 says this, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. There's nobody on the face of the planet who can't look up into the sky who can't experience life and the cycles of of the weather and the water and all those things and they have to conclude at least this. We're not here by accident. We're here by design. We're here by a purpose. And that knowledge alone is sufficient to prove that God exists. Romans 1.20 For since the creation of the world His invisible attributes are clearly seen. We can see His creativity. We can see His wisdom. We can see His power. We can see His authority. We can see all kinds of things just in creation. We can see His compassion because He provides food for people to eat whether they acknowledge him or not. He provides air for them to breathe, whether they acknowledge him or not. All of that points to the mercy of God. They are without excuse. So in light of all of this evidence, in light of everything that God has done, why don't people believe? Why? even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They suppressed the truth. People don't want to know God. They don't want it. And they did not glorify Him. Our theme is the glory of God. It's the glory of God revealed in creation today. Next Sunday, we're going to see the glory of God revealed in the Old Testament. And then we'll take a look at the glory of God revealed in the incarnation. And then we'll think about the glory of God as revealed in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to, over this Christmas season, we're going to look at the glory of God from start to finish. And we're still not going to exhaust this, this theme of God's glory. But beloved, when people suppress the truth, when they are not thankful for God, when they become futile in their own thinking and their own understanding when they purposely decide that they're not going to use their God-given brain to glorify God, what do you expect to be the result? The world we live in. This fallen world. Beloved, their foolish hearts were darkened. But let's pause a minute and not forget that we were once a part of that dark world. That world that suppressed the truth. That world that was not thankful to God. That world that became futile in its ability to use its God-given thinking capacity. We, ourselves, did not honor or glorify God at one point in our lives... But then that changed, didn't it? The Spirit of God began to work in your heart and in your mind and began to bring conviction to your soul. And God worked in such a way that He opened your eyes and you saw what was there all along. And your heart, your spirit, your soul repented. And you were born again. You recognize the creator of the universe. You recognize that the creator of the universe was also the savior of mankind. And you bowed the knee. You humbled yourself. You confessed your sin. And you received that gift of eternal life. Beloved, that's why we celebrate Christmas. Because God who created the world left the splendor of heaven which is outside of this creation and he took on human flesh and he came into this world and he lived as a man and he died as the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world so that all who believe in him might have everlasting life today we've thought about the glory of God as revealed in creation But we've just started our journey. I hope, beloved, that you will be with us in the coming weeks. That you will experience the the glory of God in all of its glory. But the question that we have to end with and you have to answer is this. Do you know the glorious creator, Jesus Christ, As your Savior. If not, now is the time to humble yourself before Him and to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He will. He will. He will save your soul and you will rejoice forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this really brief verse. An inadequate glimpse at the glory of God is revealed in creation. Father, we could study this subject alone for the rest of our lives and still not exhaust it. But Father, perhaps, perhaps your spirit is working in the heart of one individual here today and they're beginning to see it that this, this really could only come about by the creation of Almighty God. There's no other force in the universe that could explain the universe. It has to be you. And Father, perhaps they've humbled themselves and they realize that they need the Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts today and that people would come to know you as their Savior. And Father, for those of us who do, help us to be amazed once again at the glory of the God who has saved us, who has redeemed us, and who has called us to be his own children. Father, may we give you thanks and praise every day of our lives. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you.